Good to see you all. Uh, good to see family members uh, who've come to visit uh, as well. I uh, hope you had a great Christmas. Everybody rested up, got, got your sleep back in, uh, waking up from Christmas morning, getting down the stairs. Y'all, my kids came in to our bedroom. Listen to me. They came into our bedroom at one o'clock in the morning, ready to come down the stairs. Like somehow they thought that we were going to be navigating the stairs at 1 a.m. to go down and open up presents. I looked at the clock and said, that's not happening. And, and, and so said, go back to bed. And so they went back to bed, not without stomping, of course. Um, and they, they go back and three o'clock, they come in, they jump on the bed and they say, hey, it's time to open up presents. I said, no, it's not. It's three o'clock. Go back to bed. And so they stomp back down the hallway. Five o'clock, they come back in. I say, this is a losing battle. And so let's just head downstairs. And so we uh, walk down the stairs, we open up some presents and we just had a fantastic time uh, together. But they were excited. And to be honest, I was super excited too. Like Christmas kind of does that to us, doesn't it? Like brings up all kinds of the emotions and just this, this wonder and awe, like what's going to be down there? And we build up and we build up and then Christmas comes and there's this amazement. But then after Christmas, the 26th comes, <laughs> the 27th comes, and then January comes and February. And then, and then all that excitement and all that all is just kind of like, there it is. Well, what do we do now? Now, now what? Christmas is kind of over. We're, we're waiting, and we're waiting for things to happen, and then it's over. Ashley and I, we were talking about it last night before we fell asleep, and we were talking about just saying, man, like, wouldn't it just be great if Christmas was more than just a day? Like, like it's not, like, Christmas isn't just a day. Christmas is so much more than just a day. So what would it look like if it carried on from just December 25th, but we actually, we carry this on to December 24th the next year? Uh, uh, as well. And so we just kind of were mauling over that as we were falling asleep. And, and I thought, you know what, if you think about it, th this Christmas season, it, it's an invitation, right? Like the, the whole thing, you know, the, the month of Christmas that we kind of celebrate, it's an invitation to, to teach us how to worship all year long. If Christmas is when we get together, like the day where we celebrate, we were waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting for the birth of the Savior, and we got that angst and anticipation building up. And when Christmas Day comes, we celebrate what if that was like the actual like deal for our en entire year where we're anticipating and we're looking to when Jesus shows up. We're looking for moments in our meetings and we're looking for moments at school and we're looking at moments in our workplaces where, where Jesus shows up and where we see him show up and we just celebrate like it's Christmas Day. I mean, that's Christmas, right? We're waiting for him to show up and then we celebrate. So what if we did that all year long? And, and so I thought about, what about a lifestyle of worship throughout, throughout the year? If Christmas was waiting for the Savior, let's overlay that. And a lifestyle of worship is just watching for where Jesus shows up and wherever he shows up, then we celebrate it when we see it. We do that for the rest of the year. What I want to do this morning, like we're going to kind of wrap up Advent. We're just kind of swing into the back end of December here. As James said, this is the last Sunday of 2020. What I want to do is I want to look at a, a, a guy that scripture points out to us that his whole life was all about this idea of worship, not just on one day, but his whole life was, was worship. And when he saw Jesus on this particular day, he celebrated like crazy. I want to talk about the specific person that Scripture points out who's waiting every single day of his life for the promised king because he believed with every single ounce of his being that, that he was going to be able to see Jesus before he died or see the Savior, the promised king, before he died. Every night when he went to bed and he woke up in the morning, he was waiting and watching for this king. 
Every morning when he sat down at the table, when he had his breakfast, he was looking out the window and he was waiting and watching for the promised king. Every afternoon when he went to wash his hands and to clean up at the well, he was looking and waiting and watching for the promised king. Every day or whenever he would be out in the yard and he's digging trenches, he's waiting and watching for the the promised king. He was watching for where Jesus would show up because it was a natural part of the rhythm of his life. It wasn't just, just for a certain day. It was the rhythm of his life. Worship was the rhythm of his life. Waiting and watching was the rhythm of his life. What I want you to do is I want you to join me in Luke chapter 2 this morning, okay? That's where we're going to be. Luke chapter 2. And, and right now, at this moment in Luke's writing, Jesus has been born. The angels have shown up. The shepherds have come to worship time-wise. It's been about 40 days since Jesus christened the manger, okay? For about 40 days. So Jesus is about 40 days old here. Uh, there's a little gap between verse 21 and 22 where some preparations were made. And so meet me in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. Now when he says righteous and devout, this doesn't mean, he didn't say he's perfect, doesn't say that he's never did any, done anything wrong, it just means that his heart is bent towards the Lord. His desire is to follow after God. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, so what would happen is um, a child who was a firstborn child would be brought to the temple, and when they were brought to the temple, um, there would be a, uh, a gift that was given, uh, an offering that was made. From the gift and the offering that was made by Mary and Joseph, we're going to recognize that they were of the poor class of the community. So Jesus wasn't born into a wealthy class. He wasn't born into privilege. He was born in a normal class in the offering here. They are following the law. Mary and Joseph are God-honoring men and women as they present Jesus here in the temple. And he came in the spirit into the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. I want you to notice there when he says your salvation, he's not saying we've seen good things. I've seen into the future and it looks okay. What he says is I've seen salvation. Salvation for me, salvation for the world. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that's opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word never returns void. No matter how I deliver it this morning, your word through your spirit is going to be implanted on our hearts. And so would you take your word, grow us through it, illuminate the words from the text so that we can see it by your Holy Spirit, change us by having been here and encountering your word this morning. And Lord, I am available for you to speak through. So would you do that this morning? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I I want you to try to think, if you can, about Simeon here. Like, imagine being, being Simeon. 
Simeon, he's just an ordinary guy. There's nothing really significant that stands out about him other than the fact that Scripture says that he's righteous and devout, right? He's just a normal, ordinary guy whose heart's bent towards God. But God, in his wisdom, has chosen for some reason to single this guy out. Well, we don't exactly know why he's done that. But, but I like to imagine that, that God is so excited about sending Jesus that he, that he couldn't even keep it into himself anymore. That he had to let somebody know about this secret. And so Simeon just happens to be the guy that he tells this secret to. At night, um, Anderson and I, we, we play uh, a little game uh, together. It's really not a game, it's just something that we do in the evenings. Um, Ashley will be laying the girls down in the other room, and I'll look over to Anderson, and I'll say, Hey, buddy, I've got a secret. I've got a secret to tell you. He's like, Oh, yeah, he acts like I've never said it before. Every night he says the same thing. And I say, Buddy, I've got a secret to tell you. And he says, Oh, yeah, what is it? I say, You've got to promise not to tell anybody. Says, okay, Dad, I'm not going to tell anybody. And so I lean over, and, and I say, Hey, buddy, Daddy loves you. And then that's it. He's like, hey, everybody, I got a secret. He's not a very good secret keeper, okay? He's like, hey, everybody, I've got a secret to tell you. Daddy said he loves me. And for about the first hundred times in our house, like everybody's laughing in the house, but now whenever he says it, the girls are like, go to bed, Anderson. We already know that. And, but he's like, I got a secret to tell. Daddy loves me. And, and then I don't just say it for him. I, I prove it to him. And so I grab him by the back of the head and I lean him forward and I give him a kiss on the forehead and I say, buddy, Daddy loves you. I like to imagine that God was so excited to whisper to Simeon, to say, hey, Simeon, I've got a secret to tell you. And the secret is, hey, Daddy loves you. And here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove it to you. You're going you're gonna to get to see your Savior face to face. You're going to get to see the Savior with your own two eyes. You're going to see the one that you've been waiting. You're going to see his face like a kiss on his forehead from his heavenly father. Verse 25 says that Simeon had been waiting on the consolation of Israel. What's consolation mean? We don't normally use consolation in our, our time frame now, right? It's not a normal word. Consolation here means comfort. Israel's waiting for somebody to come and bring them comfort from all their hardships and all the discomfort that they've been feeling. But if we're honest, they have put themselves into a lot of the hardships that they're in. They are constantly running after other gods, don't know what's going on up here. All right. You guys kill that uh, speaker. Um, they're constantly running after other gods. They are constantly turning their back on the Lord, completely disobeying, willfully disobeying. God is over here saying, hey, this is the right way to go. This is where you're going to find true life. This is how you follow me. And they're saying, you know what? I think I can do it better my own way. I think I can find life. And so they reject the teaching of God. They reject following him and they go off and do their own thing. So a lot of the discomfort that they have is from their own doing, right? God is saying, I love you. Follow me, and they're saying, no thanks, I've, I've, I've got it, I'll choose my own way. I, I can't tell you, and I'm guessing I'm not the only one here, I can't tell you how many times that I, I've chosen my own way also, where the Lord is saying, hey, th there's, there's a way over here that I want you to follow. This is where true life is, but in my own, um, uh, I, my own pride, my own arrogance, in the own lust of my flesh, I have chosen to go my own way too many times to count. But yet in my discomfort, the Lord always meets me with his comfort. In my discomfort or in Israel's discomfort, God was always, even though they had put themselves there, he's saying, I'm going to show up and I'm going to bring you comfort. They are waiting in their discomfort to have the comfort or the consolation of God here. But even in their discomfort of war and captivity and oppression, 
they had a Savior that was promised to come. And Simeon is a guy who's getting to see the face of the Savior. And again, we've got to ask the question, well, why? Why does Simeon get to see the face of the Savior? Why isn't it Joe or Bill or Bob who lives down the street? I I think the answer is is because Simeon was watching and waiting for the Savior. I, I think he was looking for him. His heart was bent towards God. Scripture says that he was righteous and devout. Again, it doesn't mean that he was perfect and did everything right. It just means that his heart was bent towards a lifestyle of worship. And when you're looking for God, what happens? You see him. He meets you in those places. A lot of times what will happen is we'll get ourselves backed into a corner, a corner that we put ourselves in, and we have no desire to get out of that corner. And yet we say, where is God? Why won't he bring comfort to my discomfort? And we have no desire to get out. When we are looking for the Lord, he is willing and wants to show himself to us. And I think here for Simeon, in his discomfort or the discomfort of the world, he is wanting to see the face of the Savior. He's righteous and devout. God loves to show up to those who are looking for him. And we don't know how old Simeon is. We don't know exactly how long he's been waiting for the Messiah. The passage kind of leads us to believe that he's kind of been waiting for a long time. Leads us to believe that he's probably an older gentleman. We don't know that exactly. But it leads us to believe that he's kind of in the the elder years. Before my uh, grandpa passed away, one of the things that I remember most about him was that he would just sit and wait for people to show up at his house. Now, when people would show up at his house, like he always acted like a, like a grumpy old man when they showed up. Like he acted like he hated it. But the reality is, I think he loved it, okay? Because here's why. He would raise up his garage, uh, and, and he lived in a little neighborhood, so there's houses all around. He would raise up his garage, and at the end of his driveway, he, he, like in, at the end of his garage, he set a glider there. And so every day, he would just go out and sit in the glider, watching cars by, go by, and just, I think he was waiting for somebody to show up, because here's the deal, he had eight kids, Okay? Eight kids, and those kids had kids. And his kids, grandkids, or how would you say that? His grandkids were always being babysitted by my grandma. And so there was always somebody showing up at the door. There's always somebody pulling up, and so they would pull in, and he'd be like, why, you're here again? You're just here to eat our food. But I think he was really sitting there waiting for somebody to show up. He sat there and watched and waited. I wonder if Simeon was a little less grumpier version of my grandpa. I wonder if he was just sitting there waiting for the opportunity to worship Jesus as he pulled into the driveway in Jerusalem. I wonder if that was his MO. See, when Mary and Joseph, when they brought Jesus to the temple, or, or like for our illustration here, when they, when they pulled into the driveway there in Jerusalem at the, the temple, Simeon runs as fast as he can because he's been waiting for them to show up. I don't know how Scripture, um, I, or I, I don't know how Simeon knew that this was Jesus. Uh, the Holy Spirit was on him, so I'm guessing it was the Holy Spirit. I have no idea. But he recognized that this is Jesus who's coming, and he runs and he scoops him up as fast as he can. And I, and I like to say that the demeanor on his face changes, and some of this is speculation, right? But he scoops Jesus up, and he's looking into the face of the one that he's been waiting for for so long. I mean, he's looking in the eyes of the Savior. He's looking into the eyes not only for the one that he's been waiting on, but he's looking into the eyes of what the whole world has been waiting on, their consolation, the world's comfort, their salvation, the Savior of the world. And you got to believe that that moment is filled with awe. you got to believe that that moment is filled with wonder. It's not his Christmas day of 25th, but it's what his heart has been worshiping for so long. 
And Scripture says here, in his worship, my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This is a guy who's been waiting at the end of the driveway. This is a guy who's been sitting in the garage just waiting for the Savior to show up, and he worships with all of his heart when he sees Jesus. I, I want to say this phrase, and if you write things down or you type things in, this is the moment to do that. The pathway to true comfort and consolation is always found in the presence of Jesus. I'm going to say it again. The pathway to true comfort and consolation is always found in the presence of Jesus. You guys, in all my life, I'm, I'm 39 years old. I, I've never met anybody who has found comfort at the bottom of a bottle. I, I've, I've, I've never met anybody who has found true comfort at, at, at the end of a line of drugs. I just, now I, I found, I've got friends who um, are, have been drug dealers. I've got friends who have been addicted on so many things. I, in my, in my previ, in my, in, before I came to Christ, like there were moments where I, I tampered with things, but I've never met anybody in the, in the deepest moments of their life to say, you know what, that thing gave me comfort. True comfort might have healed a moment for them or momentarily fixed something, but then that wears off. It doesn't stay. I've never met anybody who has said, I, I have found true comfort in all of my stuff. I've got things that add comfort to my life, but I've never really found anybody who has said, all of this stuff is what is actually the thing or the things that give me true comfort. They're always looking for something else. The pathway to true comfort and consolation is always found in the presence of Jesus. It's found in a lifestyle that's looking for Jesus. I've never met anybody who's found comfort in those things, but here's, here's the thing that I have seen. I've seen men and women who, when they would open up their Bible, the thing's about to fall apart. Pages are falling out of it because they've been in the presence of Jesus. I've seen men and women whose knees are blistered from the time that they spend on their knees in the presence of Jesus, praying Spending time with him, praying for you, praying for their neighbors, praying for somebody's salvation. I've, I've seen men and women whose lives have been changed by simply being in the presence of God. And when you look at their life, what would characterize them is comfort. They have been comforted in their discomfort. They have found peace in their madness. They have found comfort in their sadness. That They would say that in the presence of Jesus, this is where things change for me. doesn't mean that my circumstances change. But it means that I can be content and comforted in those moments because I'm in the presence of, of Jesus. I, I want you to notice the extent and the fullness of, of Simeon's worship here. What he says now is that I have seen Jesus. My life is complete. Now that I've seen Jesus, I can die a happy man. I, I don't need anything else to complete my joy. I don't need anything else to find my comfort. And now that I've seen Jesus, I can die a, a, a happy man. I, I've, been, I've seen what was promised to me. I've been given what was promised to me. My life is complete. I don't know about you, man, but like when I read this, like, you know, the Christmas story is wrapped up, but when I read this this week again, like it came fresh and new, and I was like, man, I want to be Simeon. I want to have this attitude that when I see Jesus, when I'm in his presence, I'm just sitting there and I say, I don't want anything else. Like I'm fully and totally satisfied in Jesus and Jesus alone. Could I have more things in my life? Yes, but I don't need anything else. I am complete in the presence of Jesus. I'm comforted in the presence of Jesus. I'm like, man, I, I just want to be Simeon here. I want my life to be satisfied by him. Because we're, we're wrapping up Advent here. 
And we're coming into the last, again, last Sunday uh, of the, the Christmas season. And I'm guessing that we all just kind of open up a, a lot of different gifts in our house. There's, there's a lot of packages and paper that's been kind of laying around. And I'm guessing that there, some of us were, were hoping to find some comfort in some of those packages. I'm guessing that some of us were hoping to find a little bit of joy in, in some of those packages. And, and I, I'm, get, I'm guessing that you, you did. And I'm guessing you did find some joy. And there's probably some people in here right now that are happy because of the gift that you got. And you're comforted by the gift that you got, but maybe in a week, maybe in two weeks, maybe January, maybe February, some of that wears off. Maybe it hangs on for a little bit longer. Maybe it's a little bit more nostalgic. And so it hangs on for a really, really long time. But the lust of the package that was under the tree, that's going to go away. The, the joy of the game that was wrapped up underneath the tree, there's going to be a new game that comes out. That game is going to lose its luster. Nobody else is going to be playing that anymore, and so you're not going to play it anymore, and so that's going to be over with. The style of the, the thing, the clothes that were wrapped up in the package, you're like, man, I, I had to have that. Guess what? It's going to go out of style. It might come back in style 20 years later, but it's going to go out of style at some point. When I was in second grade, guys, you want to know what the style was or the style that I wanted more than anything? Is, does anybody remember Def Leppard? Like back in the 80s, like Def Leppard? Yeah, three of us, okay. Um, the, the lead singer, like, he would just, just jack his jeans all up, man, just rip total just shreds. And that's all I wanted. And so for Christmas, I didn't get a pair of those jeans, but my mom let me cut my pants, like, to, to, to be, like, the, the lead singer of, of Def Leppard. Guess what? That went out of style. If I were to show up, up here on the stage with these ripped out jeans, you'd be like, what is wrong with that dude? What is wrong with him? Like, it's going to go out. The lust of the package is gone. The style, it's going to change. It's what's, what's vogue right now is going to go out of vogue. It's going to go out of style. And so what's going to be left to comfort you when those things are gone and the, and the, and the sheen wears off? Well, the only way that our hearts are truly comforted is when we're satisfied in Jesus and Jesus alone. He's the one that brings comfort to our discomfort. Simeon's response here, he says, I've seen Jesus and my life is complete. It's the ultimate goal of worship for us. Worship is it's a posture of our heart that says, I have everything that I need in Jesus. I don't need anything else. It's more than music. It's more than just showing up at church. Although worship is, it, it, those are components of worship from, that's overflowing from a heart that's bent towards Jesus. But it's more than those things. Worship is recognizing that Jesus is every single bit of our comfort and is being fully satisfied in him. It's watching for Jesus to show up all throughout the year. And when you see him show up, celebrating him. It's waiting at the end of the driveway or at the end of the garage, watching and waiting for where he shows up in the meeting, in the home, during bath time, during meal time, during um, work meetings. Like It's watching for Jesus to show up. And when you see him show up, you celebrate like it's Christmas, like he's doing something in your life. As Christmas is more than just a day. Christmas is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of a watching and waiting and celebrating when you see the face of Jesus show up. This has been a really interesting year, like 2020. Like we're ready to close the books on this thing, right? But 2020 is going to go into 2021. The turn of the calendar isn't going to change the circumstances. But here, it doesn't change the fact that this has been an interesting year. So here, here's what I want. I want to leave you with a challenge, just to kind of, like, grab a hold of this idea of worshiping 
the Lord when he shows up in places that maybe we didn't expect to see him. I want you this week, I want you to take a piece of paper, okay? And, and for you guys who don't like to do anything, please just, just do this this week, okay? Take a piece of paper and put a line right down the middle of it. And in one side of that piece of paper, I, I want you to write down things to grieve. And then write down the things in that category because there have been a lot of things to grieve. There have been a lot of losses this year. There's been a lot of things where, where we just wonder, like, how could God ever show up in some of that? And then what I want you to do after you've written down your things to grieve, I want you to, on, in the other category or in the other side of your paper, write down things to celebrate. And, and, and those things to celebrate, I want you to go down and just write, 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 write all those things that are, so I'm guessing that you're going to see that there were a lot more things to celebrate than there were to grieve. But even in each one of those lists, what I want you to do is I want you to create a, a habit of looking at those things and saying, where did Jesus show up? Just because it was something to grieve doesn't mean that Jesus wasn't in the middle of it. Doesn't mean that you can't worship in the middle because you see and he carried you through those things. So look at that list and look at that list and say, where does Jesus show up? And then take time to celebrate when you see those moments. Would you pray with me? Father, would you help us to be intentionally looking for Jesus? Would you help us to understand that Jesus is at work and the thing that's really gonna bring true comfort and our discomfort is gonna be worshiping Jesus. It's gonna be finding ourselves in his presence wearing out our knees and meeting him in the scriptures and worshiping him fully with our lives, a lifestyle of this. Father, I pray that you would meet us in those spaces. Father, I pray that worship would become who we are, not just something that we do, but that we would be a, a group of worshipers. I think in the past we've called it walking worshipers, that we're just watching for where you're at work. And we're seeing that and we're celebrating it, worshiping with every step of our life. And so, Father, would you do that for us? I pray only you can do that in, through your spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.